on that note, too, I guarantee you when y'all said there's someone planting a church in Kingston, Jamaica, you did not picture this. Um, but uh, like you said, my name is Corey, and I am a part of the Water's Edge Network, and my wife and I are planting a church down in the Caribbean in the West Indies. West Indies sounds way cooler. I say that, and I'm like, yeah, we're church planters in the West Indies, and people think it's like somewhere in East Asia. It's right in your backyard. It's in the Caribbean. Um, but yeah, we're down there. God had opened up the door about seven years ago. I started preaching um, down at different events in the Caribbean, developed some great relationships, and then my wife and I left the church we were with really feeling called to plant, not sure where, and I just went down to hang out with some of my friends down in Jamaica, some of the families down there, and they were like, you're going to plant here, right? And I was like, no, uh, because uh, if you didn't know, when I say we're planting in Jamaica, some of you are like, tough life, bro, because you picture a sandals resort, right? It's like Michael Scott on the beach at a sandals resort. Um, thank you, office fans. You get that. Um, but many of you know if you have, how many, has anybody been to Jamaica before? Anybody been to Jamaica on a mission trip? Yeah. Anybody been to Jamaica on, on a honeymoon or vacation? Yeah, that's a different type of mission. Um, but it's godly. God blesses that. Amen. Um, be fruitful and multiply. All right, different sermon. But, uh, yeah, so you know as soon as you get off resort, uh, Jamaica is a third world developing country full of um, severe poverty in some areas, but some amazing people. And so my wife and I prayed about it. And I say wife and I like I got some like legitimacy to that. I've only been married for like a little over a year. So y'all pray for me. Um, all my married people said. That was strong. I like it. Where am I? Sing- Do I have any single people at Redeemer? Any single people in the house? Singles. Raise your- oh, the single section. I like it. I like that. That's smart. Mingle singles. Um, it's the best place to meet is that church. Seriously. You don't need them in the club. Get them in the church. Um, but yeah, so I, we've been married for a year and I didn't want to put my wife on an island like uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, our first year of marriage. And so we've been basing in the States and then we fly down once a month. And so we're doing once a month services for this year. And next year we're going full on with the like full on every Sunday kind of church plan. So y'all be praying for us. But I, I just wanted to stop and acknowledge that for a second, um, because like Mitch said, you guys are a part of our family. The Water's Edge Network is an association, is a network of like-minded churches, and I don't know if you know this, but one day in eternity, like, you're going to, like, roll in, you know, stroll up however you want to, maybe really humbly. Some of you, like, when you get to heaven, you'll be like, what's up? I'm here. And you're going to get to heaven, and there's going to be some dreaded out Jamaican run up to you and just be like, Wagwan, what's up? And they're just going to give you the biggest hug, and you're going to be like, ah, who are you? And they're going to be like, no, 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 you don't understand, because you were a part of Redeemer in Tampa, and y'all were a part of the Water's Edge Network, and you give and you support churches beyond just your four walls. My mother got saved in a church in the Caribbean, and she raised us in a godly family, and I know Jesus, and I'm here for eternity because of people like you. So thank you so much for who you are and what you're a part of. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you are awesome. Just tell them, you're awesome. I like it. I love it. Turn to the person uh, on the other side, your second choice, and say, you're better than that one. Say, you're better than them. Husbands, don't do that. Husbands, do not do it. Y'all are a good-looking group. Um, And like you said, the the name of our ministry, what I like about the Waters Edge Network is we can all kind of fulfill the calling God has put on us locally. So Redeemer, I love that name. We just did a series called Redeem down in Jamaica. Um, But our name is Zeal. Everybody say Zeal. Zeal. Yeah, I like it. Um, and we named it that for two reasons. Uh, one, because I don't know if you know this, you Bible scholars probably do if you have Romans memorized, Romans chapter 12 specifically. Side note, I talk fast and they gave me coffee, so just hang in there. Um, trick on that, y'all just started putting your sermons online, so you can go online on Vimeo and your playback speed, you can slow it down if you miss anything. 
But we're called zeal because in Romans chapter 12, it says as Christ followers, we are never to be lacking in zeal. Like we're always supposed to have some of you like, what's zeal? Yeah, I'm going to act like I know it. No, zeal means a passionate enthusiasm for a cause. And so like as Christ followers, no matter what we're going through, no matter what sickness we're going through, no matter how much debt we're dealing with, praise God that we're going to get out of debt one day. Everybody said, let's go. Don't worry. It's not a money sermon, but I just like to praise God for that. Um, But yeah, like so no matter what we're going through, there is something in us that allows us to wake up in the morning and go, Woo! I'm alive and I'm passionate that Jesus saved me and he made me and he redeemed me. So, A, that's why we call it zeal. And then B, if you've been to Jamaica or you met a Jamaican, they're very passionate people. They're amazing people. They have some of the best food in the world, some of the fastest people in the world, and some of the best music in the world. Oh, this little tiny island. So we're trying to change the world through that little tiny island through some very zealous people. Everybody say zeal. And I like to think I'm kind of zealous. Um, I'm a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, action-oriented. Active, yeah. I watched Mitch preach, and I was like, oh, uh, it's going to be different. (laughs) But uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter what? Nice. You guys are good. Um, I'll give you one more um, precursor. I personally believe that preaching is best uh, when it's not a monologue, but rather a dialogue. Um, And and by that, yeah, thank you. Y'all get it. Um, By that, I mean, is like if God says something to you through the preacher up here, whoever it is, I think God moves in in our church the best when we respond to that. Um, And and people respond in in their different ways. Like if you grow up in church and you speak Christianese, you probably can give me a good old fashioned amen. Right. Everybody give me amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen literally translates to so be it or like. I agree with modern day version of amen would be like, that's what's up or right on. And like God receives, like you can end your prayer with that's what's up, God. And he'll be like, that's what's up. Because that, that's like saying, so be it. Like I agree with it. I'm with it. So, like we don't put on airs when we come to God, right? You ever been around somebody where they pray? Like they'll talk to you. They'll be like, hey, good morning, man. What's up? Oh, man, work was awful. Da, 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 da. And then they go to pray and they're like, dearest heavenliness, father, thou art the greatest. And they start speaking King James. And God's like, you know, I was with you like five seconds ago. I know how you talk. And I heard you drop the F-bomb like like it's like you can come to me for real. And so we want to talk to each other for real. We want to respond to God in a real way. But I ask you to make preaching a dialogue um, for multiple reasons. One, because I'm not as secure as Mitch or Carl. I'm not as secure as them. So I need your affirmation. Um, Y'all didn't laugh at that because you're like, is that true? A little bit. Uh, B. because I don't know if you know this, but your response to God isn't just for you. Um, the Bible says in the book of Acts, two of our predecessor brothers, Paul and Silas, were in prison. And in prison, like about to get killed, and they just started praising and singing God. They started responding to God's goodness in their life. And you all know the story if you grew up in church. It says that their jail cell was opened and everyone else's jail cell was opened. What does that tell us? That your response to God isn't just for you. Your response to God can't just set you free. It can actually set the people around you free. And so you may need to respond not just for you, but because you need to respond so somebody else can be like, yeah, that is good. That is right. And third and, you know, least on the tears is it'll at least wake up the person next to you if they're falling asleep. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to practice. Then we're going to jump into Luke chapter five. I'm going to say something that you should all agree with and want in your lives. And you just give me whatever positive affirmation you can think of. Okay. Like whatever first comes to mind. Y'all ready? Thank you. That was a, okay. Dialogue. I appreciate you, Mitch. Follow his lead. No. All right. Ready? You all win the lottery this week. 
My man went, whoa, like that's the loudest he's ever been in church. And I understand why. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to dive into that. We're going to dialogue with God and his word today. And we're going to pause in our series on Ephesians. And like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter five. And I'm just going to jump right in. And we're going to start in verse five in chapter five, verse 17. If you're there, say yeah. Yeah. Thank you. One of you said it like you from the south. You say yeah. Luke five, verse 17. We'll read. On one of those days, anybody ever had one of those days? He's like Tuesday, my boss. Anyways, uh, Luke, (laughs) verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, who was he? Good. Yeah. If you don't know the answer in church, always say Jesus. Okay. Just, I learned that in Sunday school growing up, Jesus of the Bible. Nobody's going to say you're wrong. But yes, in this case, it was Jesus. So on one of those days, Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a mat a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his mat through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Pause. How many of you have heard this story before? Hey, welcome to Tampa. I like that. Um, Like a lot of us probably maybe grew up in church and this is a familiar story. Um, What I found for those of us that have grown up in church and are familiar with Bible stories like this is we often think we know it all when it comes to the story. I get it. God came to brought him on a mat. He got healed. Like spoiler alert. He's going to be okay. Like we, we, we know the story. But ancient rabbis would challenge each other with this metaphor. They would say scripture is like a gym. And like any of you married ladies out there right now, like, look at that. Look at that diamond on your finger. Look at that rock. Hopefully your man did a good job. Look at it. Like literally look at it. I know there's a few of you. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are like, eh. no, look at it and then turn it and see how it looks different in different angles of the light. Like that diamond will always look different no matter what, like depending on what light shines on it. Ancient rabbis says scripture is like that. They said scripture is like a gym that's to be turned day after day, and we should study it from different angles and different lights. And the more we turn the gym, the more we learn about the value of scripture, just like you learn about the value of a gym. And so today we're going to turn the gym in Luke chapter 5 a little bit and see if we can unveil a couple deeper truths that will help set us up for a successful Christmas season here at Redeemer. So if you're ready for that, Mitch, if it's okay, I'm going to say one more quick prayer, and then we're going to jump in. You ready? All right, let me pray. Jesus, we're ready for whatever you want to do. God, I pray for the next few minutes you would shut Corey Castle up and Jesus, you would speak. God, I pray that no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what argument we got in with our spouse on the way here this week, no matter what craziness is going on at work or financially, that you would supernaturally mute all of that. And Holy Spirit, you would allow us to focus on you in these next few moments. And God, we believe in the power of your word. It creates stars and universes and shakes mountains. And it's in our hands and on these screens right now. And so, God, we pray that you would open our hearts up to receive that power. And everybody from myself to the sound booth and everyone in between and maybe watching online, God, that you would change us eternally. And if at least not for this week as a result of today. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray that they would have the courage to pray a prayer like this. Hey, God, if you're real, prove it. And we thank you that you will and that you do. And everybody that agreed with that loudly said, amen. Amen. I like it. I like it. So Luke chapter five, I just want to do something. Um, One of the best ways to study the Bible is like personification is to put yourself 
in the story. And, and so we're going to do like kind of an exegetical uh, study of Luke 5. We're going to do an exegesis. I was talking to um, Mitch and Carl earlier, and they love exegetical studies. I do too. Um, if you didn't know, if you didn't grow up in church and you don't speak Christianese, there's two main ways of teaching the Bible, topical and exegetical. Exegetical means you go verse by verse and kind of break it down. Topical means you pick a topic like relationships and you pick different verses throughout the Bible. I would bet that they probably practice both here when it comes to the series because Jesus taught exegetically in the synagogue when he would go through the Torah and Jesus talked topically because he would walk around and be like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed the kingdom of God or he'd be like the treasure and he would teach topically as well so we deploy both in the water's edge network but for today we're going to do some of you like bible nerds you're like yes I love that that he broke some of you are like can you just get to it yeah okay we're getting there so we're going to put ourselves in this story so suffice it to say what you have here is you have a group of guys a group of friends and they have a friend and their friend has a problem now, anytime there's a person in the Bible that doesn't have a name, I like to name them. It just helps me remember. And so you got a group of guys, and they have a friend that's paralyzed. And, and I was going to call him Paralyzed Paul because it alliterates and it helps me remember, but there's already a pretty prominent Paul in the Bible. And so I'm going to call him Tim. Everybody say Tim. So Tim has a problem. Tim's problem is that he's paralyzed, okay? And Tim has some good friends. They want to help solve Tim's problem. So like, Tim, problem. We need to solve Tim's problem. And then they have an idea. We heard about this dude that's healing people. What if we got Tim to the dude that heals people? Literally, that, that was the whole plan. And so they're like, hey, Tim, we have an idea. We want to get you with the problem to the problem solver. We want to get you, the guy that needs healing, to the healer. Suffice it to say, Tim's friends, right here you can read it, they caught a vision. Everybody say vision. This is huge. Because their vision was massive. This had never been done before. Like, we read the Bible like this stuff's normal, right? Like, paralyzed guy started walking. Yep, just another Wednesday. No, like, this doesn't... This didn't happen, right? And so these guys don't just get a vision, but they get an impossible vision. Tim, we want to get you to Jesus and see your entire life change. Tim couldn't work. He was a beggar. If he got healed, he could work. If he could work, he could get a wife. If he could get a wife, he could have kids. If he could have kids, he could have grandkids. Literally generations of people would exist if this could happen. They caught a vision. Everybody say vision. And their vision was huge. It was massive. But what I love about this vision, this big, big, big vision, is it started so small. Right? Like, they're like big vision. See Tim get healed. But what'd they do? Imagine, they're all circled up. And they're like, all right, we've got to get Tim to Jesus. Gary, go get your truck. And Gary's like, those aren't invented yet. And he, they're like, okay. And they're just like, Tom, get your mule. And he's like, bro, I ain't balling like that. I ain't got a donkey. And he's like, okay, what are we going to do? we got to get Tim to Jesus. And then somebody was like, I know. What about that mat Tim's always laying on? Let's, get, let's use the mat. And they're like, great idea. And so he runs, and he, like, gets a mat. <sighs> we have the actual mat Tim was on. <laughs> Bought at Ikea. Uh, and they get the mat, and then they spread out the mat. And they're like, Tim, get on the mat. And he's like, I can't. And they're like, oh, yeah. And so they pick him up, and then they put him on. Sorry, that was insensitive. But anyway. And they put him on the mat, and, and then they all pick up their corners, and they start towards the vision. Here's my point. This big vision 
just started with getting a map. Somebody say, get a map. Every big vision has to start small. Often in life, we get overwhelmed by the enormity, by the grandeur of God's vision he has put on our lives. And because it's such a big vision, it happens to churches. Like, we want to see Tampa changed. We want to see Florida revolutionized for the kingdom of God, like, redeemed. Like, we get these big visions, but often big visions are intimidating. And we get, we get immobilized. Like, ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I want to encourage somebody today. If God's given you a vision and you don't know what to do, just ask, what's my mat? What's the first small? It's like when we're like, I want to lose weight. First step, eat less. Walk more. Work out. Right? Like some people like it's just small steps. Like wake up early tomorrow and work out. Go for a walk. That will those are small steps that lead to the vision. But it does beg the beg the question. Do you know what God's vision for your life is? Do, Do you know what God's vision for your marriage is for your family? Because The Bible's very clear when it comes to vision and Proverbs that actually says without vision, the people will perish. Any of us have heard this before. Biblical principle, without vision, people perish. And we know this to be true, right? Look at the nation of Israel. Whenever they didn't have vision or didn't follow vision, they just wandered and squandered everything they have, and they ended up going to their demise. And we've seen that in our own lives. Like when you don't know what to do or you don't have a target to go for in school or career, what ends up happening? You kind of just end up meandering. You don't know when you don't have a vision for your relationship. Uh, just Without vision, things die. Without vision, things perish. But every biblical principle is like a seesaw. If it works one way, then the antithesis of it is true the other way. So if without vision things perish, with vision things will flourish. And so again, it begs the question, God, what's your vision for my marriage? Have you and your wife ever sat down and asked that question? God, not just we want to get along, maybe pay some bills and put kids through college, but what impact on the world, on our city, in our neighborhood and corner do you want us to make while we're here breathing this breath you gave us? What's the vision for what's the vision for our kids? What's the vision for my company, for my role here? What's the what part do I play in the vision of Redeemer Church? Have we ever stopped and asked that? If you haven't, pack up. Go ahead. That's why you need it for today's sermon. Like some of you are like, oh, well, that's it. Because um, literally, like, that's a huge deal. I remember in my life, like many of us have gone through something like this. Like, you remember when you were like graduating college or around that age, like 21, 22? And for some reason at that age, in this time period, we feel like we have to have the rest of our lives figured out. You know what I mean? Like I was graduating. It was a summer after and I was working this summer job touring the U.S. with this Christian production company, putting on nights of worship all over the U.S. And it was just a summer contract job. And I remember I'm freaking out all summer. I'm just like, God, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, and that was my prayer. God, give me your vision for the rest of my life. I'll never forget one night. Uh, we were doing a, an event in Chattanooga, Tennessee, actually right outside of it at Lookout Mountain, Georgia, up at Covenant College. And we were having a time of worship like what we were having here earlier. Did you know God can speak to you through worship? Like sometimes you don't even need the message. You just need a line in the song. And, and, and also on that note, like that's why we sing. We don't sing because we feel it. We sing because it's true. And often we need our feelings to follow the truth. So when it comes out of the mouth, it'll get in the heart. So even when you don't, like, trust me, I can't sing. Mitch, I'm sorry. You were next to me this morning. But I will sing that mess out. If I'm tired, I'm going to sing I'm alive. If I'm feeling like a stupid, broken, messed up sinner, I'm going to sing I'm righteous and God is good. Because that stuff reminds your soul and your heart what is true. 
And so I was in a moment of one of those like worship moments. And I just felt like God spoke to me and said, Corey, you want the vision for your life? Go outside to the lookout point. Now, pause on that. When I say God spoke to me, I don't mean he spoke audibly to me. God has never spoken audibly to me, and I'm kind of happy about it because the Bible says his voice creates stars and shakes mountains. I think I would mess myself. And, uh, but but I, I just make that caveat for, for a specific purpose because many of us in here today, we've heard preachers use terminology like that, like God spoke to me. And you're like, well, I've never heard the voice of God. Does that mean I don't know him? Does that mean I'm not a good Jesus follower? Now, some people may have heard the audible voice of God. Let me know what he sounds like. That'd be awesome. But like... What I mean when I say God spoke to me is if you've said yes to Jesus, you have this thing called the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence literally in you. And I can't explain it in any other way other than just like a nudge, just like a a, a soft, quiet voice within my own consciousness where I'm going, that's not me. And you can converse with the almighty God. And he often and most often speaks to me through his word by reminding me of his word. And so just in this moment, I felt like he was like, go out to the lookout point. And the lookout point was like on the top of the mountain and there was like this beautiful green forest and then downtown Chattanooga. It was a gorgeous view. And then you'd see a mountain range in the distance and a starry night sky. We would go out there every night. And so I'm like, okay, God, I'm excited. Vision for my life. I want your vision. I'll never forget. I walk outside and we're doing like this youth camp. And so there's like 10,000, like 15 year olds running around. I'm like, and I open the door and it's the foggiest night I've ever seen in my life. Like I can't see my hand right here. And I walk out, and I'm, like, trying not to kill kids as I'm walking out to this cliff side. Side note, don't go to a cliff in the fog, but God told me to. And so I'm walking out there, and I forget, I, I, I walk out, and I kind of sit down on the edge of the cliff. And um, I'm like, okay, God, I'm here. Show me your vision for my life. And I felt like God said, this is the vision for your life. And I was like, fog? You ever feel like that with God? Like, really, bro? Like, it's okay to argue with God. Read the Psalms. David was like bipolar. He'd be like, I love you, God. Kill my enemies. You're the best. Slaughter them all. Like, that was David all throughout the Psalms. And so, like, I'm just being real with God. And I'm like, God, what in the world? I can't see anything. And then I was reminded of a verse memorized as a kid, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. It's like he told me right there in that moment, just because you can't see the forest representing trials, temptations, lessons to be learned, just because you can't see the city representing people and cities needed to be reached around the world, just because you can't see the mountaintops representing heights that I can take you to and I know of that you can't even imagine, just because you can't see that doesn't mean it's not there. Just take the first step. And so then my prayer changed from God, what's your vision for the rest of my life to God? What's my mat? God, what's the first step I need to take to see this vision, to see this vision, to get on the direction of this vision? And so I started praying. What's the first step? What's my mat? Somebody say, get a mat. I'll say it like you mean it. Say, get a mat. A prayer for many of us today is God. What's my mat? What's the first step I need to take to see that vision come to fruition? And so these guys get a vision, and they get a mat, and then they all pick up their corners, and they start walking. Side note, we have no idea how long they walked, right? Like, a lot of us read this like they just walked him around the block. It doesn't say what city they were in. They could have walked for miles. They could have walked for five days in the hot 
Middle Eastern son carrying a paralyzed dude, guarantee you that wasn't comfortable. And we don't know how many there were. There could have been three. And like, you know, one's having to do two corner load and the others, there could have been eight. We have no idea. And so these guys are walking and walking and walking and they get there. And this is my favorite part to preach in this passage because no one likes it. And it's just fun as a preacher to preach things no one likes. I love this. So if you go back, it says, and behold, some men were bringing on a mat, verse 18, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But verse 19, if you'll skip ahead, I've highlighted or underlined two words in verse 19 that I want us to all read together. And my man, yeah, all right. So we're going to read these out loud, nice, not nice and unison together. Ready? But finding, oh, let's do it again with some fervor and some zeal, but finding, but finding no way to bring him in. Now, you Bible scholars know this. Many of you, if you didn't grow up in church, you may not know this. The Bible was not written in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. And here, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, the Bible's complicated, right? Like, who wrote James? Who wrote Matthew? Yeah, see? Bible's easy. Uh, so Luke writes this, and he's writing in Greek. And the actual words in Greek there that were translated to, to these words, you, you want to know what they actually mean? Some of you Bible nerds were like, yeah. Uh, the words right here that, that Luke translated out of Greek actually translate to no way. That is the exact literal perfect translation. In other words, a synonym to that was it was impossible. But finding no way to bring him in. In other words, every vision, if it's a God vision, will eventually face opposition. Everybody say opposition. That one's always quieter. Like, vision. Opposition. Right? Because we don't like opposition. We don't like opposition. But if it is a God vision, you will face opposition for two reasons. One, because a God vision should be so big you cannot accomplish it on your own. If you can accomplish it on your own, it's probably not a God vision because God has called us to work together as the family, as the body of Christ. And if you're not working on your own, it means you're working with people. And people are hard. (laughs) People are messed up. I like to say everybody's a little messed up, shacked up, jacked up, broken, locked up in some way, shape or form. Like we're all messed up. And so when we work with people, often we face opposition. Second, we have an enemy. Right. Like we we just there is an enemy. And so if you're following Jesus in a God vision, you will face opposition. If you're not facing opposition, it means you're going the same direction as your enemy. I'll just let that sit for a second. Right. Many of us like life is easy. Oh, I'm walking with the devil. Anyways, um, (laughs) but. But finding no way. In other words, it was impossible. And, and, and this is what I love about these dudes. Because imagine, again, put yourself in their shoes. You're there. You just carried Tim all the way here. And you get to the house and you see it's impossible. No way. Opposition. Imagine, they all huddle up. And they're just like, what are we going to do? Like, there's no way. There's no way in. We can't, this, this can't happen. It's impossible. Who's going to tell Tim? Gary, you've known him the longest. I'm not telling him. Let's draw straws. Whatever. You know, like, they're just like, sorry, my, I'm, my mind is just. But like, somebody eventually had to, like, walk over to Tim and kneel down to him and be like, hey, man. Yeah, yeah. I know you're excited. Dude, I know. I know we said we're, we're going to get you to Jesus. I know, like, we, we want to see you healed and your life changed. Tim, Tim, I know. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, it's right there. And I know you can hear the crowd, but. Tim, there's just no way. 
But hey, we almost got you there. We almost changed you. Now that's conjecture. It doesn't say that. But I guarantee you there was that feeling. We almost made it. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in a, uh, a hyper-competitive, capital C competitive family, like borderline sinful. Any competitive people in the house? You know, like, we pay paper, scissors, rock right now, and if I lose, give me a minute. You know, like, <laughs> I've repented of that. I've calmed down. Like, but I, I remember um, I grew up playing lots of sports. Um, I grew up playing basketball. I know you can tell. And uh, that's super insensitive. Um, I was a point guard, obviously. No, um, but I grew up playing basketball, and um, I'll never forget, like, you know, it, those of you that played sports, like, you know when you lose and you just get whooped? It's like 70 to 10, you're like, we should quit. Um, no, you can do all thanks to Christ, but something else. Um, but, like, you know when you just get whooped, that's one thing. But you know when you lose by, like, one point? You feel me? Yeah, right? So, like, I'll never forget, my senior year of high school, we have a, a, a game against our rival. Like, 6,000 people in the stands. It was crazy. It was awesome. And, and we lost, like, 63 to 62. And I, like, I, I told you, I'm competitive. And so I walk, and I go and change in the locker room. I am fuming. And I come out of the locker room, and I'll never forget, my girlfriend at the time in high school comes, like, prancing up to me. Like, ha-ha, this is how I knew she wasn't the one. Um, so she comes up to me, and she comes up to me. And she's just like, hey, what are we doing tonight? And I just like look at her. And she's like, what's the matter? And I'm just like. And she goes, what? You played a great game. You almost won. (laughs) It still gets me to this day. Like, I'm not a violent person, but I almost threw her down the locker room hall. Uh, Not really. No, not really. No, because why? Saying you almost won is like saying, if you would have tried a little bit harder, if you would have practiced one more time, if you would have hit that one layup, if you were just a little better, you would be experiencing all the things that come with victory, but you didn't, loser. Like, right? You almost won. But here's my point. Like, the word almost should bug us. The word almost, like, because I think in Christianity, especially in modern-day church culture, we settle for almost all too often. Well, we almost reached the city. We almost paid off that building. I almost invited them to church. I almost loved all my coworker. And we pat ourselves on the back for almost. But what I've seen in my life, at least, and what I see scripturally, is God's blessing is never found on the other side of almost. Because how do we know that? Because if we've read the Bible, we know that if we've said yes to Jesus, we are not an almost people. Because the Bible says in Romans that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are not almost conquerors. We are more than conquerors. So what does that mean? You are not almost a good mother. You are more than a great mother. What does that mean? You are not almost a good husband. You are more than a great husband. What does that mean? Redeemer is not almost a big, awesome, amazing, God-filled, Holy Spirit, like emancipating church. Redeemer is more than that kind of church because we have Jesus and Jesus was not almost a savior. Jesus didn't almost die on a cross. Jesus didn't almost raise from the grave. Jesus was more than a savior. He more than died on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins and he didn't almost raise from the grave. He more than raised from the grave because he didn't just raise from the grave. He conquered sin and death and he more than did that because he came back and gave us some good news. And then he more than did that because he ascended into heaven. And then he more than did that because he's building a place for us. And then he more than that because he says he's coming back for us. And he more than that because he walks with us while we're here. We serve a more than savior. So we're more than people never settle for almost. And what I love about Tim's friends is they were not 
almost good friends. Because, again, I just imagine they're circled up and they're like, who's going to tell him? And somebody spoke up and they were like, no, absolutely not. We did not walk Tim all the way here to almost get him to Jesus. No, I don't care what we got to do. but We're going to get Tim to Jesus because opposition is always an opportunity for creativity. Opposition, no matter what opposition you're facing in your career, in your marriage, in your scholastics, in your spiritual walk, no matter what opposition we face, it is just an opportunity for creativity. Like he was sharing with the building plans here. We need more space. Well, that's opposition. It means an opportunity. Let's kick down some walls, right? Let's turn the room. Let's do what we got to do and get creative to overcome opposition. Sorry, guys. I get fired up when I read the Bible because it just changes your life. Some of you are like, I'm glad I wasn't sitting there because I would have got kicked. Um, But I love this. So one guy is just like, hey, fellas, I got an idea. What if we go on the roof and put a hole in the ceiling? And they're just like, you're an idiot. And they, and they like, I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but they're just like, no way, Gary, you're insane. And then they're just like, what if, you know, we tunnel in? No, that'll take two weeks. Um, what if we set the house on fire and everybody's got to run out? That's really mean. You know, like, I don't know what they were coming up with. But finally, Gary was like, seriously, guys, listen to me. What if we go on the roof? And then eventually the guys were like, you know what? Grab a corner. Right. And they all pick up the mat with Tim on it. And it doesn't say there was a ladder. And so these guys are like hoisting paralyzed Tim. You know, Tim was just like, this is awesome. Best day ever. But you know, it was so uncomfortable, right? The dude's paralyzed. In other words, healing is always going to mean you got to get uncomfortable first. Many of us want to see healing in our marriages, but we don't want to come down for prayer. Oh, that's a little uncomfortable. All right. You stay paralyzed in that. But the guy, he had to get uncomfortable and he had to have friends that loved on him. And they get him on the roof and then they start digging through the roof. Now, imagine if you're in the house, like, and you hear this, you're like, this is before Santa Claus. Like, you're just like, what is happening, right? And then, like, shingles start going and dust start, like, imagine if you're the homeowner. Like, there's no Aflac or homeowner's insurance right now. You're just like, bro, right? And they put this hole in the roof. And then Dr. Luke, who is always super technical in his writing, he says they lowered Tim down. It says nothing about rope. So I just imagine they're just like, um, one, two, three, whew, like, and they just drop him. And they're like, you know, how much worse could it get? Like, you're going to get healed anyway. Like, go ahead. Uh, and they just drop him. Um, and, 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 sorry, I told you I'm insensitive. So Tim lands. And, and side note, it also says that he landed before Jesus. So in other words, these guys cared enough not just to open up a random hole on the roof, but they listened and they did their research and they found out exactly where the most powerful point was, exactly where Tim needed to be. They brought him right in front of Jesus. And then something amazing happens because every vision, if it's a God vision, will face opposition. But if we take opposition as an opportunity for creativity and we push through and we go around, we do whatever we got to do to see that vision come to pass. Every vision, though it faces opposition, will eventually come to fruition. Everybody say fruition. And how many of you know that when a God vision comes to fruition, it is a special, sweet, beautiful thing. It changes everything. And the band, yeah, you guys can come up and make it sound spiritual. Um, you always know when the music starts, the pastor's almost done, unless he's charismatic. It means he has another hour. And some of you are like, which one is he? <laughs> we don't know. Right? No, we got to get out of here. He told me I only had an hour and a half to two hours to preach. So um, that's a lie. Forgive me. Uh, so every God vision, though it faces opposition, if we'll get creative, can come to fruition. 
And I love what happens when this, these guys' God vision comes to fruition. It says they lower him down in front of Jesus. And I love it. Let him down through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. In verse 20. And when Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I'm just going to pop. Man, there's a high chance I'm going to kick that over, but I'm going to stay over here. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, I move way more than Mitch and Carl. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah I noticed you didn't have a camera guy back there because I'm going to be out of the frame like a thousand times. It says, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's a theological bombshell I don't have time to get into. But suffice it to say, Tim was lowered before Jesus. Jesus looks up and says, because the faith of your friends, I'll forgive your sins. Tim did not pray the prayer of salvation. Tim did not say, Jesus, you are the Lord and Savior of my life. I put my faith in your death and resurrection. Tim did not say any of that, but Jesus forgave him of his sins because of the faith of his friends. It begs the question, what is our faith doing for our friends? Do we believe like that? So they lower him down before Jesus, and Jesus says, because of the faith of your friends, your sins are forgiven. And then he had some haters, and it says the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise and walk? But that you may know that I'm legit, I'm the real McCoy, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to Tim, who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. And immediately, Jesus said, rise, and immediately, delayed obedience is disobedience. How many, you parents, take out the trash. Okay, two days later, it's not taken out. What happens? Right? Like, because delayed obedience is disobedience. But when it comes to God, often God's like, hey, start giving. Hey, start serving. Hey, share your faith. Hey, love your spouse well. And we delay it and we expect his blessing in our lives when delayed obedience is disobedience. When you come to Jesus, first thing he tells you to do is get baptized. And many of us want to see God's blessing in our life. And we've said, ah, I'll put it off till I'm more comfortable. God's blessing comes out on the other side of being uncomfortable. Don't delay the obey. So you just, ah, I need to take my next step. This guy's next step was literally to take a step. Jesus said, rise. And immediately, Tim got up and did the Dougie. It said immediately he rose up before them. I would have. I don't know what he did. He rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You can play. Like I said, make it sound spiritual. Yeah. See? And Tim. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's such a powerful thing to realize what really happened here because the guys wanted to see one miracle. And if you caught it, Jesus performed two. And the first one he performed, which wasn't what they asked for, was actually the greater miracle. They laid Tim before Jesus and Jesus said, you are healed for eternity. Your sins are forgiven. That was the bigger miracle. What's the lesson there? That when we get a God vision and lay ourselves bare before Jesus, his fruition will always be far beyond our expectations. You can say, God, I want, I want you to heal my marriage. And he says, I don't want to just heal it. I want to use it. I want to use it for my kingdom. You think yeah, I just want to heal it? You guys are going to be serving and leading. God, we want you to, to knock down a wall in this church. You want me to knock down a wall in this church? I want to build up walls to make this an even larger church so more people can come in. Not so you can have a big church, but so that we can fill heaven. 
Like that, like his, his vision for us is always beyond ours. But it starts with us coming just like Tim and laying before him. So he, he did the greater miracle. And then in the secondary miracle, what they asked for, did you catch it? He said, Tim, rise and walk. And then he said, pick up your mat and go home. Now, if I'm there, I'm like, bro, Jay, Jesus, like he just learned how to walk. We don't have to give him chores. I'll carry the mat. Right. But why would he tell Tim to pick up his mat? What did that mat represent? This mat was all he knew. This mat was his comfort zone. This mat was his crutch. This mat is what defined the old way he existed. And so when Jesus said, pick up your mat, it was to say, you don't need it anymore. When you come to Jesus and you lay down that habit or that hang up, you don't need it anymore. When you come to Jesus and you break up with that bae because she ain't the right bae for you because it's toxic, you don't need him anymore. Like, and it was as if to say, you don't need it anymore, but go show everybody. What I used to need, I don't need it anymore. And implicit in pick up your mat is almost to say, find another Tim and put him on the mat and bring him to me. Because what I did for you, I can do for them, and I can do for them, and I can do for them. And so here's our la- hit. The plane is landing. So you're like, thank God, I'm hungry. This Christmas, like Mitch was saying, is a pivotal season for the city of Tampa. There is not another time that in the time of year that people are more open to checking out God or church or this Christian thing than around Christmas. And I guarantee you... We all have a Tim. We all know somebody that needs to get to Jesus. Coworker, family member, mother-in-law. Like, 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 we all know a Tim that needs to get to Jesus. And this Christmas is our chance to get him to Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you're like me and you're thinking of that Tim, here's what you're thinking. There's no way, Corey. There's no way. There's no way Carol at the office would ever come to Jesus. She calls me stupid because I believe in God. She says, uh, you know, she's an atheist. She makes fun of my Christian t-shirts from Redeemer. Like, there's no way Carol would come. But where there's opposition, it's just an opportunity to get creative. Like, literally, here, here, I'm going to give you permission on behalf of Carl and Mitch. This Christmas, if you have a Tim that you want to get to Jesus... And the only way to do it is to put a hole in the roof. You have my permission to drag. If it's packed out, there's no seats. Crawl on the roof, put a hole in the roof. Some of you are going to be generous and give, and we'll patch the roof anyway. We want to raise it regardless, so it's fine. Like, right? No, no. Well, here's one of my point. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Like, whatever it Get creative. Like, go up to them and be like, hey, I know you live like an hour away. I'll drive. I will come and pick you up. I will drive two hours because it's worth it to get you. Some of you are like, what, what, what? they don't live far away, but they'll just never come. Go to them. I've done this before. I will buy your lunch every day for a month if you come to church with me. Some of you are like, what? That's a lot of money. It's their soul. It's the eternal resting place of their soul. Like whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. And if we will get creative, overcome the opposition... I guarantee you when it comes to fruition, whoo, ain't nothing like it. The city will be amazed and glorify God. So this Christmas, we all have our Tims. I'll make it easy for you. Here's your mat. Here's your mat. Just take this. Take five. If you're super spiritual, take 50. <laughs> and just invite people. 
Y'all do me a favor. I'm going to do a quick exercise, and I'm going to get off stage. Look at the person next to you, and look at them as mean as you can. Do it right now. I can see you. Dude, somebody look at this guy. He has no one to look at. Look at at the person next to you. Look as mean as you can, and do this. I want you to look at him in the eyes and go, no, like as mean as you can on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. No. Right? Okay, everybody look back at me. Look back at me. In the United States of America, in Tampa, Florida, if you invite somebody to church, you've literally just experienced the worst thing that can happen to you. Most people would be like, oh, if I got time, or da, 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 da. and then you'd be like, well, no, you have time, I'll come get you. You know, you can have fun. I'll take you out to dinner afterwards, whatever. But, but that's as bad as it can get. Just, I mean, get creative. Like, I, I took a guy to, to lunch one time, and he ordered a hamburger, and before he ate, he went to wash his hands, and I put the invite into his hamburger, and when he bit it, he was like, what's this? And I was like, ha, you're invited. And I, I was just like, you know, like, it's like being served by the IRS, you know, like, you touched it, you got to come. Like, but just like whatever it takes, whatever it takes. This Christmas, we all have our Tims. You have your mat. You have the vision. Let's overcome opposition. And I guarantee you, man, when it comes to fruition this Christmas, it's going to be nothing like it. Let me pray for you guys. Father, right now, before I pray a blessing over this group, I just want to stop and acknowledge something. That many of us in here have our Tims that we want to bring to you. But if we're honest, some of us realize today, I'm Tim. Somebody has been inviting me to church, has been inviting me to Jesus. They put me on a map. And today, Jesus, I'm here before you, and I need healing. I want to rise up and walk in your name. So, Father, right now, I just pray with every head bowed and every eye closed that anybody feeling that right now, that they're feeling like they're the Tim, that they would know that they have friends right here, that they were carried to this moment divinely orchestrated by you, that you love them, that you more than died for them, that you more than rose for them, that you have more than a plan for them. And, God, in the still moment like this, that they would have the courage to just say, Jesus I'm down. I believe in you. You don't have to pray it out loud even. You can just think this in your mind. God's a mind reader. He knows your thoughts. And it's not even about the words you say. That would be an incantation, which is witchcraft. It's about the heart behind it. So if that's you, if you feel like a Tim right now, just say something in in the stillness of this moment, in the quietness of your heart. Hey, Jesus, I'm down. I want to be healed. I want to be forgiven. I know I'm messed up. I know you love me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the grave for me. And God, I do not know all the answers. But from this moment forward, just like Tim, I want to rise and walk fully, wholly for you. The Bible says if you say something like that and you mean it, That Jesus looks at you just like he looks at me and looks us up and says, you are mine. I am with you always. You got this. You're going to mess up, but you're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're a part of my body. You're a part of the family. You're a part of Redeemer. You're a part of the church. And you're saved. And the heavens are going off right now because you're healed. And if that is you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just say at the end of this time, Mitch and Carl will be up here. I'll be up here. Or they got the info bar in the back. You can just come up and talk to one of us. We want to get you a Bible. We want you to know we love you. And we want to help you with your next steps. And God, for all of us, 
under the sound of my voice, watching online or right here in this room, we pray for our Tims. We know we were once Tims. Somebody, whether it be our parents or a friend, brought us to you. And we pray for boldness and courage that we would overcome any opposition. We would fill our cars up, God, again, not to make a big church, but to fill up heaven. And God, that you would just help us get them to you. And Jesus, we thank you that when we do, you always do what you do. You meet them with hope and life and healing. So God, we lift up this Christmas season that you would use us to our maximum ability, to our maximum capacity. And in that, God, you would bless us. Father, we love you and thank you. In your name we pray.